Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm your Host, Kenneth R. Smith, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis, CEO and Co-Founder of Empirical Wealth Management. We are a Northwest-based independent registered investment advisor. I have my business partner and co-host, Ethan Broga, here today. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you as usual. It's a beautiful day outside in Seattle today. It really is. Very happy to be here. We are broadcasting live today from our Seattle location, and uh, this show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas. We come on once a week to talk about different strategies that we hope will help you make smarter financial decisions. And uh, if you have any questions you want to cover or want us to try to cover on the air, please do so. You can Either give us a call live on the program, 1-866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Or you can shoot us an email. You may do so at the email address contact at empiradio.com. Contact at empiradio.com. Our crack engineer, Simon Liu, will get you either on the phone or get your email read pronto. Ethan. Would you mind sharing our contact information and also uh, inviting our listeners, either individuals or other advisors, uh, to contact us and what we may be able to do for them? Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Ken. Um, Yeah, if you're an individual investor out there, perhaps you're looking uh, for some help with your investments. Maybe you'd like something as simple as a second opinion on what you're currently doing. Maybe Maybe you're working with somebody else or maybe you're not, but we'd like an evaluation of your current portfolio. We'd love to talk with you about it. You can... Feel free to give us a call here at the uh, office in downtown Seattle, 206-923-3474, and ask for Ken or Ethan. We'll be happy to speak with you about that. Um, if you're even looking for something a little more comprehensive, maybe a look at how your retirement is, is set up, uh, evaluating things like pension plans, Social Security, you know, what, what types of strategies around those important benefits uh, would be best for you given your situation and how those things integrate in your cash flow plan and your tax plan and your investment plan. We also be happy to get together and discuss oh, those boy. things as well. Uh, again, we can reach at 206-923-3474 and uh, give us a call. We'd be happy to speak with you. Definitely. We'd love to uh, have the opportunity to 
provide you with a second set of eyes on any of the financial decisions that you're making and really would uh, be happy to help you as a listener of the program. And if you do contact us, we'll be happy to give you one of our favorite investment or financial planning books. So please feel free to do that, as Ethan said. <laughs> well, Ethan, you've got a few articles. And at the end of last week's show, we had touched, began to touch on an investment presentation that yeah. I've been working on with our director of research, Eric Lair. And um, we didn't get too far into that, so I'm happy to continue to discuss that. Um, so it's up to you. We, we don't do a lot of pre-rehearsal for these for these discussions. Yeah. So I like to keep it, you know, sure. keep it fresh. I, I wouldn't mind, uh, if you're okay with it, continuing on where we last left off, uh, vis-a-vis the presentation that you recently put together and finalized and we'll begin doing around the Puget Sound area. Here, I thought it'd be a good good thing to share with the, the listeners out there. And if we want to take a break and, and look at one of the articles I had printed off, that'd be fine too. But why don't we start with your your presentation, if you don't mind. That'd be great. And maybe to kick off this uh, presentation, um, we'd start uh, with a, a little discussion about a, um, you know, we have either client or listener questions. Mm-hmm. We've got about a, a, looks like we've got about a minute or so. I am, I'm not really clear what's going on up there, but um, never <laughs> mind. Um, we've got plenty of time. Sorry, I got some my wires crossed with uh, Simon's signals there. No worries. Anyway, um, you know, we we had a situation where a particular client was expressing uh, gratitude and their sa- their happiness and satisfaction with working with our company, separate from the radio program mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they mentioned one of the things that was mentioned in that discussion was, hey, well, the the performance has been really good over the last year or so, particularly as they took a more aggressive stance with their investments. And one of the things I shared with the group and with you, and I, I want to open or bring this out, um, okay. because even if you're working on your own or working with a, a different advisor or some other advice um, relationship, I think it's always important to understand um, what what is good work and what is a function of, market forces. Okay, yeah, sure. And so in this case, I was just saying, well, it's great. I'm certainly very happy when people are happy. But if it's simply because the market went up over a very short period of time uh, since they uh, either began working with someone or began investing, let's Mm -hmm. assume that you're just looking at your own investment strategy and whether or not you are congratulating yourself on doing a great job. Maybe you just... um, began putting money into the market and it happened to be at a time the market did very well. I think it's important to understand that it won't always do very well. I mean, today we saw a pretty big decline um, and that may be a very temporary. We've seen a lot of bouncing up and down. It's what the market does. It may be something that the market goes sideways or down over the next year. The first lesson in, in what we're embracing and in, in the way we invest is not, not, um, putting a lot of weight in those short-term market fluctuations mm-hmm. and not congratulating or firing yourself or your advisor over very short-term performance. So another outcome, and we'll tie this in, another situation, a particular investor was speaking with one of other advisors who, um, I don't know, maybe a year or two liked Boeing and Boeing stock is an example. Uh-huh. Maybe Jim Cramer was out screaming about Boeing. Whether or not Boeing went up over the last year more, or less uh, than the stock market would not um, 
justify the firing or hiring or congratulating of anybody, whether it was you running your own portfolio or you had hired an advisor and they either told you to buy Boeing or they told you to sell Boeing and diversify into a several thousand security portfolio. Um, the right thing to do is the right thing to do. The statistically sound and prudent approach uh, is that whether the subsequent short-term outcome bears that out or not. And so in this case, if you owned a great part of your retirement savings in a single stock, I don't care what stock, and someone gave you sound advice to diversify that because you're taking on a lot of risk, that advice is really good advice, regardless of over the next, the following 12 months, that individual stock doubled or tripled what the market did or what they put you in. And I bring this up because I see this a lot. Um, and it's, it's an easy mistake to sidestep by just being aware of it and taking the approach in life that the right decision was the right decision, regardless of the short-term outcome. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, you know, we, we talked about this before, too. I, I think I would add a little bit. Yes, I would love that. Or just expand on that idea. It really is a function of, if you're working with an advisor, let's say, for example, it can't be that if the market goes up or down, you, you said this before, in fact, I probably got this from you because we talk a lot. Uh, it, oh, we're tight like that. Exactly. So if you hire an advisor and that advisor, there, you have a, a, a good experience, let's say, over the next 12-month period, but it's a function of purely the market went up. You know, the market just went, went up over that period of time. Or uh, conversely, if the market went down over that same period of time, so you now it's been a year and the market went down, and then you're going to judge your advisor based on the market going up or down. It can't be the. It isn't a fair way to do any type of an evaluation how how good your advisor is or isn't. Uh, at least in terms of in my world anyway, I don't want to be evaluated that way because really what matters is on a relative basis with the market, and also relative to your own situation, given the long-term objectives of of what you've agreed upon with your advisor. So the short-term stuff really can't is not an appropriate time to measure in my view as well, whether it be good or bad. So just right. expanding on what you just said. If you hired an advisor and over the last year, they say the next 12 months, the strategy that the advisor took was really based on a speculative guess or gamble on which direction the market would go or which direction a small number of securities go. There are so many different advisors out there making predictions that some of them will get it right, right occasionally. Um, it would be very dangerous to base your success or, or trust with that person. I, I would rather I would rather work with someone who can justify and support the strategy they're taking with my retirement savings, the costs inherent, the tax consequences, the potential risks and the potential rewards, and they have a very thorough understanding and ability to explain how that all got put together. That wasn't based on, and we touched on the first part of the presentation on vesting last week, which was crystal ball right. investing. We call it crystal ball investing because it really is interpreting future events that are, are very unpredictable. It's nature of the future. Um, it's the nature of the future, right? And so even if they are correct, I would still say, you know what? I would not engage in this if it was my own money. I'm not even saying for our own selfish purpose. It was my own money or my family's money. I would recognize what it was. Just like when you win a lottery, you buy a lottery ticket and you win. Somebody does win frequently, right, in these. However, we do realize that it is what it is. It was a very 
statistical long shot that that's going to be. And I would not recommend a strategy of putting my entire IRA account into lottery tickets, regardless of the fact that I may be a visor out there saying, hey, I will help you buy the lottery ticket at the correct location and and the pick the right numbers. And look, the last guy that won, I was able to do that with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's not something I would engage in. And so you can save as an investor, you can save a lot of frustration, a lot of potential heartache in the future. Because where I see this backfiring is people, they do, maybe they get one good uh, prediction or they start with a, a money manager or newsletter that gets them um, the the time period subsequent to when they start winds up being above average. And so they put more and more confidence and faith in that. Maybe they commit more money to it or mm-hmm. they take on more risk or they start leveraging to borrow it. And it, when it blows up, it really blows up. And the long-term uh, ability to succeed is irreparably damaged. And that's what I worry about when I hear as much as I, um, you know, don't like hearing individual investors struggle when things are going tough, when the market's taking st- step backs. I get equally as nervous when they are having more and more confidence in a strategy over a sh- because something's done well over a very short period and for the wrong reasons. Um, you're, you're a great investor because, you know, since we've been working together, you know, I've got X percent of positive return. Well, it happened to be the market shot up that time, and it was t- totally coincidental. Right. The real value will be when we do go through tough markets and we're helping navigate through those tough markets and making better decisions. Agreed. So, Nathan, uh, we'll pause there. When we come back, we'll go through the investment points, presentation points. Sounds good. We're working on. We'll be right back after these brief messages. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Miracle Investing Radio. Your, your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith, uh, entering our second segment of today's program. And uh, Ken, I think we're going to dive into uh, the presentation, right? Go through some of the important points we've put together for there. How do you feel about that? Uh, that sounds good. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, Ethan, I was looking. I mean, Mark and I had a meeting right before we were able to come inside and see where the market closed prior to this, but um, it was down 266 points today. Hmm. So I'm sure there will be a lot of media um, chit-chat and banter about um, is this the end of the bull market and all the usual all the usual things that they do. Uh, worst session since November 11. We, we always talk about that, how they pick um, whatever the decline is they find out. Well, when is that the worst buy? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Um, I think the, the general signal there would be, well, geez, we got to get worried because it was the worst decline since 2011. What if it was the worst decline since two weeks ago? I, I don't know how that makes any difference. <laughs> Nonetheless, it was a, a pretty big drop. Yeah. But um, you know, the market is the market returns consist of these these spurts and setbacks. That um, that's just how it, how it works. So I I. Always caution everyone to uh, avoid making long-term decisions based on very short-term market movements. Sure. And uh, the market has had a pretty substantial run over the last several years, from the bottom 2009 to now. Yeah. Um, It's going to have a lot of uh, temporary setbacks along the way, but it's still a very dangerous game. To play, trying to predict those movements. And so we had touched briefly on the first part of the presentation last week, Ethan, which is the different ways that we may divide up investing. Um, And in this discussion, we're talking about this idea of a crystal ball method or trying to constantly interpret the vast, and I mean vast amounts of data that's available at our fingertips from moment to moment. Mm -hmm. Trying to do that either on an individual company basis or on an entire market basis, um, stock and bond basis, the, the amount of factors that drive the daily movements of the market are so innumerable, it's hard to pinpoint any one factor that would drive. And earlier today, even when I was reading the checking the market update, and they were saying, hey, traders had no real apparent specific reason at that point that there was no no economic news but there's so many variables at any one point in time that would drive any particular investor in the market to move in or out of it so the idea here is we're going to talk about crystal ball method of investing general indexing or if you broaden that to a what we would call more of a passive investment approach and then what I would catalog as the third type of investing, which would be empirical investing, becoming an empirical investor, taking an empirical approach to investing, and how that differs or how you would contrast that from what historically the vast majority of the market in participants or the Wall Street firms would put 
put out is how you should invest. So the idea of this crystal ball method of, of investing is, you know, stock picking, market timing, um, uh, any any approach that would in, engage in trying to identify missed opportunities in the market. Usually, uh, the idea here is that you want to outperform the market rather than just accept the t- returns that stocks as a group would provide you as an investor, which, by the way, have done very well over the history that we can track in global markets, diversified strategies mm-hmm. like just saying, hey, in the U.S., if I had owned, if I was able to own a diversified basket of stocks from the very beginning to now, would I have done well? And, and the answer is, well, you would have done very well if your definition of well is staying ahead of inflation, actually growing your capital and doing so in a, in a way that's passive. You're not out you know, working for it. You're investing your capital and getting a return on that. And that really sets the stage for the fundamental principles of the foundation of, of capital markets. Investors should be able to put money into those markets, take a risk for doing so, and get rewarded sufficiently on a whole. Not every investment, not over every small time period. That element of risk and, and unpredictability is what generates that higher rate of return over just keeping it in cash, which is a guaranteed loss against inflation. Mm-hmm. For the most part, right? Yep. Or safer approaches like buying CDs, for example, which may or may not beat inflation over the long time, but also may be very critical and important, the bond part, to reduce the short-term volatility of the portfolio if you don't have the time horizon to wait for that for the, for the equity markets to work through its short-term volatility and return a positive return that it always has over longer periods of time. So if you look at the results of these strategies, if you're looking at whether or not, hey, should I go out and buy my own stocks? Uh, some investors say, hey, I can go do that. Maybe I can do that with the help of, of an analyst or a broker. Or, or they could hire another professional to pick a certain set of stocks to beat the market. Right. And they may engage in traditionally we call it fundamental analysis, this idea that you will look at the company's financial statements, um, key executive interviews, financial reports, the overall industry that they're in, the economic growth and prospects, and you'll make a decision whether that stock is trading at a fair value, mm-hmm. under fair value, or over value, and you would you'll you will weight accordingly in your portfolio. Technical analysis tends to be an approach to either stock market or individual stock picking that focuses more on the pattern that the stock trades in, um, tracking historical trading patterns and trying to make predictions in the future about where that stock will go based on those previous patterns and the volume, moving averages, all all kinds of um, all kinds of uh, strategies involved in technical analysis that you can utilize. The issue, though, when we get to the results, Ethan, uh, on this, and if you were going to walk in the casino and you were to assume uh, take the best possible approach to playing blackjack for example you can get your odds up to about 49.2 percent so if you play long enough the law of large numbers says we're probably not going to win but those odds are pretty good in terms of you can play for a while right it's not it's not a one in a million chance so again like buying lottery tickets sure yeah yeah 
But if we look at the results and what researchers and academics have done is said, well, one way of measuring the success of these traditional investment strategies is by looking at the odds of success that the professionals get. Because if highly trained um, professionals with with high level, high graduate degrees um, from the top institutions in the world aren't able with unlimited computing power, power on top of that, if they're not able to eke out a little bit of additional return, you know, would, we, would it be reasonable to think that the average individual person who might dedicate a moderate amount of time and have a moderate amount of resources would do much better? Right. Well, we have studies on both, actually. Mm-hmm. And the studies on the average individuals that are out there engaging in these activities, what they don't have is the additional layer of cost associated with hiring these professional managers. But for the most part, that cost on an annual basis, if you say the average traditional active manager, while it's high, it wouldn't be so high if they were able to get you that extra performance, right? Right. But on average, maybe it's somewhere around 1.5% for these guys. So to buy the best talent in the world, you're going to pay them at most 1.5% to pick those stocks for you. If they couldn't do it and beat it by that amount, you know, are you really, is it the 1.5% that you're saving that you're going to be able to do it better, Ethan? Right. Probably right. not. Probably not. You know, if, if we're being honest and using our common sense on this. So the odds of these traditional professional managers of the caliber that I just described as a group is about 17% um, of the time over the long run that those advi- those managers have been able to have success. This is citing one study um, there's been many that are done, but just looking at the CRSP mutual fund database, and if you were to take a look and you said over the last 10 years, for example, um, how many funds beat their respective target benchmarks, the success rate was about 17%. Um, you'd have better odds of, of winning money at the blackjack table than you would beating the particular benchmark over the last 10 years of this game. <laughs> um, so for me, it, it's not a game that I would typically want to play, either myself or engaging, you know, again, if if I could hire the best and the smartest and they can't do it consistently, I'm certainly, I may be a smart guy, but I don't have the resources that they do. Um, I'm certainly not arrogant enough to think that I'm going to be able to do much better. And the statistics don't bear that out, and we look at the individual account studies either. So if that's the case, what is an alternative to trying to beat the market? Well, one idea is it's been around since the late 70s, is I could simply buy an index portfolio. I can buy an investment fund that tracks the market and does so at a very minimal expense. So the average, if we took the S&P 500 as a category, Ethan, okay. The average manager, uh, if you just went into the mutual fund world, went into the Morningstar, the mutual funding service, uh, reporting service Morningstar, you went in their database. The average fund expense is about 1.1%. And over the last 10 years, the average return for those those professional managers is net of their expense, about about 6.93% per year. But if I looked at what the S&P 500 index did, reasonable benchmark for that category, it did about 7.41%. And I could have bought an ETF, an exchange-traded mutual fund that tracked that index for the last 10 years. And I 
with its expense ratio. Currently, the expense ratio on, on the Spider Fund, SPY, is 0.09%. So literally 1.01% less than the act, average actively managed mutual fund. Hmm. So what that fund was able to return was a net of 7.3% pre-tax to its investors. Right. Um, just not far off of that nine basis points or that 0.09 of expense. Um, and and substantially better than the average large cap manager that's out there being paid to beat that market index. Mm-hmm. So that's not a bad approach because if we were to further reduce these returns by the taxes created, right. um, there would be a wider spread between those two. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. If you put $1,000 in 10 years ago, the difference, um, you'd have about an extra $68,000 in, in, in the index approach here. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to take a quick break, though, Ethan. Let's come back, and then we'll pause on this whole thing before we move on to the next category. Sounds good. All right, we'll be right back on invest, uh, Empirical Investing Radio. the boardroom to you voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, we're just talking about uh, one of our, our newer presentations that we're doing around the sound here. And Ken was walking us through it, and we're just at the point of the presentation we're talking about sort of the odds of investing. And maybe I'll just summarize a couple of things, Ken, we can talk about a little bit that we can continue on if that's okay with sure. you. 
So one of the things you mentioned earlier was just that the, the odds of, of success, if you're out there picking stocks, uh, t- trying to time the market, or you've delegated that to a, a manager who is, in essence, doing the same type of work, uh, using the uh, resources and, and, and stuff that they have available to help guide those choices. Well, they, they do studies in these types of things. We've talked about this in the program before. And one such study was, was uh, referenced in, in our presentation. And it turns out over this 10-year period that they studied, there was about a 17% success rate, which is, well, very, very low, mm-hmm. first of all. <laughs> yeah. So very, very low odds of success on its own. But you're comparing it to things like blackjack, for example, which I thought was great, where you have a not quite slightly lower than 50% odds of success, 49.2%. So in other words, you have better odds investing, uh, or rather uh, doing blackjack regularly than the odds of successfully investing uh, using the active approach over the, the last 10-year period of time. I thought that was pretty good. Um, I, we were talking on the break, too, that there are lots and lots of studies that have been done over the years. This is one of the latest ones, but they do them over different segments of time, different markets, whether it's in the U.S. or it's in you know, the international stocks. Uh, and they all basically have the same type of conclusion where the active approach, the idea that picking stocks or chiming the market, um, those tend to underperform. You don't, they don't have the types of results that you would, would hope for anyway when you're buying them over the long run. Anyway. Right. I um, think it's important, Ethan, on that note mm-hmm. to focus on it's, it's not just the odds in itself, but it's also the payout. Uh, so when you're making a bet or entering into um, particularly a very complicated um, statistical uh, encounter here of, of odds and payouts. You know, it, it's not enough that um, you pick the right football team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if the odds are so great that that team will win, there's typically a spread involved in there. Right. Um, it's it's the payout that also makes it different. So the other interesting thing to consider is when you look at. It's true that I could have owned any series of individual stocks at different time periods and made a lot of money. I mean, I could have, that's the Jim Cramer whole thing, right? Is he's pitching different stocks that he thinks you can make a lot of money doing this. Um, and, and that's true. But the payout, the, the odds of, of you lose, you have the ability, for example, to lose everything. If you put all your money in that single stock. Mm-hmm. So it's not enough that it, has the opportunity to beat it's by how f- frequently does any one stock and the ability to pick that one stock beat beat the market is it by enough to compensate you for the risk of losing all your money right or having a substantial drop if things go wrong and so when we're talking about these managers on abroad if you say well there was still 17 percent to beat the market over this period of time or beat their benchmarks in other studies we've looked at in addition to the low probability of them beating, there hasn't been a very much additional compensation. So how much did they beat? They could have beat it by one-tenth of one percent, right, in that number. It's very few of those 17% that beat the market, for example, by 5 or 10% a year. Right. Um, when they are beating, it's not by that kind of a margin. But the, but the amount that the, when they do underperform, the group that underperforms, a lot of times the amount they underperform by is far more significant. The magnitude matters here. The magnitude yeah. of the underperformance than the amount that the winners do outperform. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So knowing that helps you also to put this into place and whether or not you'd be willing to engage in that activity. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? And studies on behavior, on, on psychology, for most people, 
you know, if you're a, if you are a gambler, it doesn't matter what those odds look like, right? You want the big win, and you may be very willing or, or to take that kind of a, a risk. The risk, obviously, at the casino, if you put all your money on one particular number at the roulette table, everything you put a hundred thousand, right, going there. Mm-hmm. If you win, you do win huge, right? But if you lose, and there's a high probability that you will in that case, you're going to lose everything. You're going to be wiped out. But for most of us, the additional satisfaction was we're building our retirement. If we look at the average person trying to build a retirement, hey, I want to save money. I'm deferring enjoying that money now. I could be out spending it and doing fun things. But I'm doing that for the benefit of the future of myself or my legacy desires. And when I'm doing that, um, I don't want to speculate, and the pain for most of us of seeing a significant loss in what we've worked so hard to to build and preserve is far greater in a lot of cases than the pleasure that we get from the additional double or triple beyond a certain point once right. our needs are met. And so often, Ethan, I find that I meet investors and in discussions that we do, presentations, and just out in the public in general that... Um, haven't thought this these relationships through very thoroughly. Uh, and it's also been very well documented. It's our natural instinct when it gets into these comp- complicated uh, economic and emotional decisions when those are blended, we tend to take shortcuts yeah, right. and go by our instinct. You have to, you um, have to do that. And so part of, of and I'm, you know, we'll come back to the direct presentation here, but I just wanted to point that out in that, um, you know, for a lot of these people that I see, if they took the most the sound strategy, they would accomplish all of their objectives and avoid a lot of pain because a lot of times they're taking strategies, either knowingly or unknowingly in most cases, that they think will present them with a lot of potential upside and pleasure, but not realizing that they're really structured their investments and the way they're handling their financial decisions, the way where they're exposed to significantly more pain for an opportunity that presents them with little upside pleasure. Right. Um, and in my world, I'd, I'd, I'd rather reverse those two and say, you know what? I've got very little opportunity for extreme pain, um, but I'm going to optimize. As, you know, I'll get 80 or 90% of the pleasure that, I, that is available for me to have yeah. um, with the strategy that I'm taking. It's interesting you mentioned that. I, I had two things that came up while you're, you're talking there. Well, one of these things was we, we decided a 10-year study and we talked about the success rate over that 10-year period was 17%. Um, by the way, o- over one-year period of time, there was a 37% success rate. And in a five-year period of time, it was down to 25%. And then at the 10-year period of time, it was down to 17%. And I wish, Ken, there was a way to have this same study or other ones that are like this um, have projected over a longer period of time. Because I'd love to see what happens at 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, and even 30 years, right? I'm, I'm positive that the trend, the relationship we see here in the short run, the last 10 years, would be similar over the next, say, 20, you know, 30 years, whatever it is. In other words, about the end of the time frame, and say of a 25-year 25 year period of time, what would be the success rate? It's, it's got to be in the low single digits, meaning that most people have an investment time horizon that is significantly long, particularly if you're in stocks. You, you hope it better be. You know, have, it could be years, it could be decades, right? It could be if you're just retiring, you're 60 years old, you have 30, 40 years left to worry about, about being invested. So what, what time frame or rather, what type of uh, expectation would you have given that long period of time? Well, it certainly would be that you would, given this study and others like it, that indexing or, or the enhanced index approach relative to the, the traditional or crystal ball approach 
as we call it, would lend itself to better returns over the long one, right? Right. If there's a way to do that, I wish we could. I, I wonder if there's a possibility of studies that cover longer periods of time because matching that up along with your own time horizon would give you a clear indication of which way you should go in the very beginning if you knew about this information. Right. I mean, one of the studies during the break we were talking about uh, and uh, it's called False Discoveries in Mutual Fund Performance yeah, Measuring it. Luck and Estimated Alphas. Right. And we've talked about it several um, years ago. This came out February 2010 in the Journal of Finance. And they talked about, um, in the paper, they talk about uh, separating funds into what they're classifying as unskilled funds, zero alpha, and uh, skilled funds. And they found that 75% of the funds exhibited zero alpha, uh, net of their expenses, um, and a significant portion of the skilled funds prior to 1986, um, but almost none by the year 2006. Um, part of that, as we talked, and we won't have time to go through all these, but the informational efficiency of the market, yeah. you know, and the, and the trading strategies that are available now with the technology, make it very, very difficult in modern times to gain an informational advantage. Right. So, uh, you know, that study covers all the way back. I think they try to get back into um, the late '60s, I believe. Uh, and maybe on the next break, I'll go. I'll try to skim through to get get some of those key datas. But is a very very small number um, of funds that they over a very longer. That's much longer than the last right. ten years that the study covered. Um, I, I think it was something less than like one percent yeah. was the was the conclusion on it. Right. I think it's so relevant because that's the time frame most people are dealing with when they yeah. think about it. It isn't five years or ten years or even one year. It's really over. 10, 15, 20, maybe 30 years. Right. So given that type of odds over that period of time, what strategy would you choose if you knew about that in advance? Well, clearly it would influence you, right? Right. Clearly right. it would. No, that's a good point, Ethan. Okay, well, on that note, um, if you've done this indexing idea, which we're big proponents, I think, our contribution to the world of investment, when everybody is... is is that we're worried about not big giant institutions with funds that they want to gamble with, but the clients that have worked very hard to build a retirement that we are working with. When 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 we're meeting a vast majority of them that have already switched and engaged in this idea of indexing um, and are incorporating, if not all, but at least a portion of their portfolio, we'll have. I'll be much happier. But what else is there? beyond that is is that the end of it um, well there are a couple of the things that we could talk about um, once you've said hey I'm not going to engage in this traditional approach and and by the way Ethan once you've con- got out of the um, paying that one point some percent to put your money into a manager who's picking securities that doesn't help you in any other area but you can use some of the money you've saved now capturing the market to hire someone to help you reduce taxes, build a financial plan, a retirement plan, and set up a portfolio that has now the right mix of riskier investments. It could be index-type funds with less risky and keep you rebalanced and keep that aligned to your your circ- financial circumstances as you progress through your life. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather invest, you know, if I was willing to pay a total of 1.5%, um, I would much rather invest most of that in getting that direct help 
than where most of the public has for the last yeah. four decades, for example. Most of their money has been spent in the one area that adds the least amount of value, if any. But a lot of times as they get connected to this idea of indexing, they also lump in and throw out, well, I don't need any advice or help. And that's a big mistake. I think so, too. Let's take a quick break, though, Ethan, and we'll come back for our last segment. Hit a few more points in this investing successfully uh, seminar that we're doing. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broga. Alongside Ken Smith, just talking about our investment presentation. And Ken, we're just right before the break getting to some of the good parts. Uh, we talked about uh, differences between an index sort of approach and uh, the more traditional uh, approach that Wall Street offers, a function of what we call the crystal ball approach with uh, market timing and, and that sort of thing. But now we're going to get into a little bit more about our, our own investment philosophy. And I thought maybe you could walk us through some of that. Okay. So... Thanks, Ethan. You bet. And uh, by the way, if you do want to give us a call throughout the week, 1-800-923-4307 if you want to talk to Ethan and I about any of this stuff we are discussing. But uh, yeah, we were talking about the idea that, you know, if you've, you, you should come to the conclusion pretty quickly if you're, if you're interested in, in serious investing and um, that 
the traditional approach, whether you're picking your own individual securities, a handful of them, or mm-hmm. engaging another. And by the way, then if you're doing it yourself, you're still there's still a cost. I, a lot of people that I meet just, just discount that their time, their own time, is worth anything. I think your time is probably one of the the most important things you have in in life. And you can have all the money in the world, but you have a we each have a limited amount of time to walk around on this planet. Mm-hmm. And you know, the older I get, the more I realize the value of that. Sure. Um, would you want to spend time engaging in that very valuable time in an activity that is counterproductive? No. Once you realized, that's a good answer. You stay with me. <laughs> Go ahead. I wouldn't. You know, I'd I'd rather be out. You know, volunteering time for some organization or cause that I care greatly about. Yeah. Spending it with family and friends and people that I care about. Doing something else than engaging in a in a in an activity. Once I knew that it was counterproductive. And not only that, detrimental to my financial well-being. It doesn't help. So there's a lot of work we still have to do to get this message out. We've spent great strides as, as more and more advisors have jumped on this bandwagon. Yeah. It's been very encouraging. And even though we compete with a lot of them, it's encouraging to see that they are realizing and opening their eyes up to this. And now the public is as well. But there's still a lot more work to do here. Sure. Um, and I, I wouldn't spend a, a moment of my life engaging in something. So... If you don't believe it, then look at the studies. You got to figure out a way to measure it independently. So if you're an yeah. individual investor doing your own thing, or you're hiring, uh, delegating that to mutual fund managers to help run your portfolio for you, how they perform or how you perform, in and itself is is not the right measurement tool. You have to measure it against the correct benchmarks, right? You got to use the correct measuring stick. Uh, I'm convinced that if more people were able to actually in, to independently do that, i.e., measure their own performance versus an appropriate benchmark, well, the, the problem would solve itself. In other words, I think people who do what they do because they think it's the best thing. And I think they think it's the best thing because they're not a lot of times appropriately measuring it against the, the right type of, of reference point. Um, so it's really hard to do, by the way, independently. Um, you, we, all of us have our built-in biases that allow us to continue on a path that maybe not, a lot of times may not be the best path for us, but we don't know how to, how to, evaluate that on a basis where we can, can effectively measure it the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it makes it hard. So anyway, I'm not sure why, why I went into that, but it's just difficult to do. And I think all the more reason to have once in a while talk to somebody else to make sure what you have in mind is the appropriate strategy. Right. So as we progress from here, it's really putting icing on the cake. If, if, if Until you've embraced the idea that indexing is superior to these traditional, everything else we're talking about is less important. Yeah. But let's agree now that you've made that decision um, and you're looking at, well, I'd like to get the most that I possibly can out of the market in areas that I feel that there is a great opportunity um, for me to look at the research and make better investment decisions and one of those ideas that's been put forward and now is getting more and more traction as the success um, has been documented in in the returns of these different strategies is that there is different there are different premiums to go after in the in the marketplace so rather than picking stocks as one of those ways what if I tilted or weighted my portfolio or 
built my portfolio, instead of just owning that S&P 500, I increased my expected return by owning some other parts of the market that have a higher expected return, like small companies, mm-hmm. and not just picking a handful of them, but owning an entire group of them and saying, hey, the research shows that if I own an entire group of these stocks, some will, will they are dangerous, they're risky, they're more volatile, but, and some will, will disappear. But the aggregate of them, the group, has, has added um, or offered a pretty good return, a premium, and that's where we designed the, we've, our own equity portfolios. We call them targeted premium because we are targeting different return premiums over just owning a stock market index. Right. So there are areas that you can add once you've embraced this indexing. Say, hey, you know what? One way... 17% of these managers cannot beat their index, but one way I could beat the general market with reasonable consistency if I have a long enough time period, and that's the key, you've got to be able to be patient and have that ability to hold your portfolio long enough to see these premiums materialize because they don't in every year. Small doesn't beat large company stocks every single year, um, but owning small versus large or value companies versus Growth companies, uh, if you looked at emerging markets companies or less developed countries versus developed countries, there's risk involved there that should be rewarded over time. Mm-hmm. It has over the period that we can track those markets, so that might be a viable way of dividing up your portfolio. And the other important ingredient in all this and, and how you can add some additional value, and as we, we try to do as advisors, is how these all, all these different areas and we can subdivide our equity models into 15 different unique investment classes Mm -hmm. include some real estate international emerging markets commodities things like that and part of the 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 special sauce or the ingredient is how you mix them together because they don't all go up and down at the exact same time even though many of them may be more risky by themselves than the general stock market right Um, so there's a little bit of an additional art there in, in terms of getting those together. But uh, if you look at just owning a general index of small company stocks, over the long term, small company stocks as a, as a group have uh, offered almost 2% a year over large company stocks. Hmm. Uh, if we subdivided that into small value and so on, there are different elements or levels of outperformance. Well, getting the additional return there is a much better approach than picking a handful of stocks. Because if we mix these different assets, these 15 different asset classes together, we can do so in a way that historically we've had about the same or even less general market risk or, or risk of seeing major declines in my, my equity portfolio. Right. Um, than we have just owning that large company U.S. index. Oh, Ethan, we are out of time for today. And uh, Yeah, there was a few more topics. We, we can cover them next week. And if you can't wait till then, give us a call or email us. You can email me directly, ksmith at empirical.net, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L.net, or 1-800-923-4307. Again, thank you very much for, for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio with with myself, Ken Smith, and Ethan Broga. Have a great week.
hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. We'll be right back.